All right, so uh, I guess we don't usually do this, but welcome to another edition of the Falcon Paladin Hour. Special guest Zombie Grub here with us today. Very happy to have here with us. And my first question is about time zones. All right, so we've discussed this on the podcast before. I just wanted to get your take on this really, really quick. I have this idea. Every single person in the world uses the same time zone, right? So when I say 1,800 hours, it's the same if you're in New York City, it's the same if you're in Sydney, same if you're in Seoul, same if you're in London. How do you think that would work? Would it work? Wait, what? Like, like <laughs> you would just, you know, you would say 6 p.m. is like the middle of the night for Australians? Yes, exactly. And 10 a.m. is like middle of the night for It worked pretty, Paris, right? I'm pretty sure it worked pretty poorly. The uh, amount of people who actually need to do time conversion have to worry about this stuff are actually i think smaller than we remember when we get into esports or anything global <laughs> so that's okay so you're saying the amount of people inconvenienced by time zones is not enough to change it for them there are more people that it's just it wouldn't be worth it to try to me like mess up their routine and how they understand time yeah and just like in general like the whole idea that humans kind of needs to uh soak in that that sunny d and if, you, right. if you're well, like, well, you have to do everything at 6 p.m. in the middle of the night. Yeah. See, I get that argument. Somicron has said, well, right. that means everyone's on the same schedule. And they have to all wake up at 7 a.m., which is 7 a.m. globally, which could be the middle of the night, which means, like you said, people don't get natural sunlight, which is bad for people. But I was thinking more along the lines of people do their normal work days, right? They still wake up when the sun rises and go to bed-ish when the sun sets. But just for me... I might wake up at 1 a.m. while the sun is rising, but it's still 1 a.m. everywhere on Earth, and people are just on their own schedules. Just the time is always the same for everybody. Mm, you still have to take into account like what their time zone is, though. You still have to take into account that they'll be asleep during your 1 a.m. Correct, and it doesn't help with syncing up work schedules, right? So, yeah, it's not like you can say, well, now we can have meetings at 1 p.m. because it's the same for everybody. You still have to factor in that some people are going to be off of work hours during that time. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah, I guess if you still have to factor that in, then it's basically like having to account for time zones. Hmm. I think so. Somicron, what do you think? No, I'm in complete agreement. It's a dumb right. idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, it's two versus one. I will graciously concede, and we will not change the global way we measure time. All right. Well, uh, anyway, thanks for joining us again, Zombie Grub. Um, I just, I don't know. I just kind of wanted to get you on the podcast, talk about StarCraft, obviously, kind of talk about your experience with gaming in general. That's generally what we like to do when we get guests on the pod. We had Pig uh, a while ago and kind of got his thoughts mostly about StarCraft, but about other things at the same time. Uh, one thing, as I was reading your Liquidpedia page, one thing that really caught my eye, it's one of the first things there, is your first experience with StarCraft was playing StarCraft 64 with your two older brothers. Yes, that's correct. So that is accurate. Now, you eventually got the PC version later, apparently, years later. Yeah. What I'd like to know is, were you just, was your mind blown? What was your reaction when you first played StarCraft on the PC when you were so used to playing it on the N64? Um, well, the thing is, I wasn't really like used to playing it on the 64. This is years of a gap between me occasionally playing this game that my brothers like to play. No idea, but it's like, 
popularity or anything or that it was on the PC and me getting on the PC like I don't know six years later something like that like I didn't go into it and being like wow this is so different than playing on the on the N64 because I, I didn't I didn't really play on the N64 I was a young kid and uh, okay. I don't remember yeah it, no so. that that makes sense. So it was kind of like if I was playing something on the Commodore 64 as a kid because my friend had it, didn't play it a whole lot, and then it was ported to like Nintendo or something. I wouldn't have the comparison necessarily. All right. I get that. So I guess a follow-up question would be, um, I guess, when did you really start to enjoy StarCraft? Like, when was it something that became something that you really liked playing? Um, I don't really remember, <clears throat> to be honest. It's just... Uh, the first year or so of StarCraft II was, was a bit of a blur for me. Um, just never thought, you know, I'd have to remember anything from it. <laughs> it was just a game that I played. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I obviously I knew it was a good game, and I played the Brood War, but it just not really anyone to talk to. WarCraft Three was more of, of what me and my friends played. So when StarCraft II mm. was announced, like, I picked it up because just, you know, World of Warcraft, Blizzard had this name to it. And then probably... As soon as I wanted to beat my brother, because I'm actually old enough to like learn strats and learn to play video games, I went to YouTube and, and got interested in the, the way that you learn about StarCraft and the, the games about StarCraft. So I think that was, I was like hooked and watching stuff every day, um, probably around mid-2011, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Who are some of the guys or casters you liked watching on YouTube? Or I guess not casters necessarily, but just personalities? Yeah, they were... I mean, they're gone now, so it kind of sucks uh, for, from StarCraft anyways. But Force Strategy was really big. Now he's just Force Gaming. Um, so big YouTuber. But he was uh, StarCraft. And I watched a lot of that and joined his clan like in the uh, in-game. It was chat channel. And I was really, really quite active. It was always... Uh, you could always find someone to play against. So that was a big part of molding my continued interest in StarCraft. Um, and then I would watch, you know, I found Husky. I didn't really find mm -hmm. HD, but I didn't remember Husky. And then there was also, ah, man, I don't remember this guy's name. Mm. Oof. Darn it. There's this really, he's kind of, <laughs> I can't even think of anything about his name right now. I just know he was on a team and he would do interviews and occasionally cast and, he kind of introduced me into the, the pro gaming scene. I wish I remembered his name. He was pretty popular. Um, which then led me to watching, like, pro streams on Twitch. So I would always be really excited to go home and watch, like, Idra, for instance, and then find out that MLG was this thing that happened on the weekends and then snowballed. Yeah. No, that is definitely – that was my introduction as well. I had no idea that StarCraft had a pro gaming scene until I found Husky on YouTube. And that opened my eyes to this world, and I'm eternally grateful for that. All right, so when did you decide that you wanted to play Terran? Was there a seminal moment, or just it was just progressive? Uh, well, I always played Terran, even in Brood War. You know, it's the first campaign that you play, I guess. So it's naturally one that, that people start with. So I played it in Brood War because um, my, my brothers played the other two races, and then it was, again, the introduction race. So I was playing Terran until, like, mid-2000, like, later 2011 or something like that. And then I was like, ah, Zerg seems really good. You know, Indra, Indra was my <clears throat> my hero at the time, and just 
I like the mechanics of it, but I played that for what is now, looking back on it, probably like a year, year and a half at the most, and then I transferred over to Terran because I really thought that Terran had more flexibility in build orders, and I think I was right. It just was really bad timing because it was like the introduction of the Brutal Infester era. Um, right. Yeah, <laughs> but I but I stuck with Terran. It still it still appealed to me more than Zerg. Yeah, fair enough. I really feel like a lot of people have that same story, where even if there is necessarily another race that's stronger, they will just stick with what appeals to them. Uh, I've been playing Zerg since back when StarCraft One was released, and it was just the concept of swarming always appealed to me. Even in times when Zerg wasn't necessarily super strong in the meta, I never considered switching. It was always going to be Zerg or bust. Uh, just that feeling of being able to get a surround on an army, you know, crash banlings in there and get ultras just m eating up these marines. Just always was more fun to me than doing anything else with any of the other races. So, totally, totally understand that. So anyway, uh, let's see. Where else do we want to go with this here? All right. So right now, uh, it just seems like you're very busy. You're casting a lot. You're on Twitch all the time, which is always very, very fun to see. And right now, how do you feel the state, we asked this of, of Pig, how do you feel the balanced state of StarCraft is right now? Like, I'm not asking you to say that one race is OP, because obviously that's not true, and we know that the balance team works really hard at making sure that the races are as close as they can make them, but is there a particular strategy or a particular race that you feel like could use some tuning in a future balance patch? Yeah, um, I do. I think that... Right now, Terran is like legitimately struggling versus versus Protoss, um, and it's always their argument isn't really about balance because Brutal Infester was technically balanced is always the go-to. You know, it was a fifty percent win record, but it was because like CVP back then was was perfectly balanced. But it was because it was two base Immortal all in versus Brutal Infester. Like right. you either won with it or you lost with it. Was fifty fifty, <laughs> and, and that was just a really <laughs> boring way to to play the game. So right now, even if Terran's do make it through groups and do have some decent games. I mean, you go back and watch the games and it's exactly the, the stuff that everyone's complaining about design-wise. And that's what matters most is how how fun the game is to watch and to play and how many choices you have. And when Terran just like sits there, waits for the all-in, doesn't come, then they push out. So Protoss is sitting there waiting for the all-in to come. And then they push out if it doesn't type. It's just, like, so boring. TV is just so boring right now. Um, so I would like to see a change there, but I'm not sure exactly what would you know, do to make it perfectly balanced. Yeah, and that's always the question, right? You can say something feels unbalanced, but how exactly that needs to be changed is always the million-dollar question. Yep. Uh, I just remember Home Story Cup. There was a bunch of TVP there, and I had a subscriber who requested a long TVP, like 20, 25 minutes for me to cast. So I went and looked through the replay pack and there was literally nothing longer than like 12 minutes at all. Any of the TVPs during the entire tournament. So I went and watched a bunch of them and it was a lot of, this was before the Cyclone change. This was when you could still reactor them out. And uh, it was basically Terrans were proxying almost every time. It was they throw up a bunker, they'd bring some Cyclones over, do some pressure, bring a Banshee in next, bring a tank in next, and just this constant, basically one or two base pressure on Protoss, and either they won with it or they lost with it, but none of the games went into the late macro game. And that kind of felt, it felt like the Terran had a bit of an advantage there, and then Blizzard came in, nerfed the Cyclone's ability to be double pumped like that, and now suddenly it seems like Terran is at a disadvantage. 
So I'm wondering if maybe the cyclone is the key here. Is there a way to make it a little bit better to where maybe it can do better against Protoss, whether you increase its HP or yeah. maybe you bring back the reactor? It's really hard to say. Mm. Well, you don't want to really, I don't think you want to pin the hopes and dreams on the cyclone being a, a good unit because the cyclone is ultimately a boring unit. So mm. it's, in my opinion, better to have it at an underpowered, not, you know, the, the go-to proxy thing like last year. Um, and then work on on redesigning other ways to play TVP, which is, you know, sending around bi bi bio. It, the fun thing about TVZ is that you open up, you know, somewhat safe. There's plenty of options for both sides to do all-ins and pressure. But then you also get these really strong mid-games where there's drops everywhere and then positioning of the army, denial of creep spread at the same time that you're you're moving over there. And there's just so much going on all the time, you know, and then eventually comes to a head. And TVP is just not the same. Terrans are, are way too scared to do any, like, heavy drop play. And then Protoss are de designed to just sit there and, and defend, defend, defend until they get a big enough army. And that can only be so fun to watch if the other race isn't willing to actually put any pressure on. And they just you just watch them bulk up for 13 minutes. It's really boring stuff. So... So what do you think dissuades Terrans from doing drop-heavy play versus, like, what they do with Zerg? Um, it's, uh, doesn't get any, I guess, anything done usually. You have recall as an option. Blink stalkers are rather strong at sniping those, those armored medevacs. Um, and with the AOE capabilities of Protoss, as well as feedback, you know, specifically from high Templars, it just doesn't seem like it's worth the committal of your units compared to their units. Um, mm. you know, like if you, if ever, it's, it's, it's like the tunneling claws problem that, that almost became a problem in ZDZ where it sucks that Tumbling Claws is so powerful because if you send four roaches with Tumbling Claws to someone's base, they have to respond with actually eight roaches, not the equal right. four. And it just you know, creates that, that imbalance that makes it really harder to defend. That's what it feels like versus, versus Protoss. It's like, well, I can commit 20 supply to that attack, but you only have to defend with, you know, sometimes only four supply, <laughs> like two Ice Templars kill everything. Um, yeah, you fly in there, your medevacs get feedbacked, and you're done. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And with starport production being so expensive and, you know, the good old choice eventually, especially nowadays, now that Colossus has really come back into play, the more you drop, the more you risk not being able to have both medevacs and, and Vikings. I mean, Tempests are now a better option, right? They can be maneuvered easier and can take out Liberators, which was the... You know, that late-game response doesn't really seem to work very much anymore. Even if you go right to Liberators and get that plus two, and, you know, in eight or nine of them, the Protoss can match you and go right to Tempest. And it Vikings against Protoss is just really... It's, it's just a really hard matchup. And regardless of the balance, it does often feel slash look like, when you watch the games, that it just it doesn't take as much effort from the Protoss. Whether or not that's true is sometimes not important, I feel. It's like... If you look at someone just warp in 12 charge lots and you're like, well, that's really cool. It does devastating damage to fill out skill. It doesn't yeah, look pretty. And that, that is something uh, Nathaniel was making a point of watching WCS winner uh, last weekend was, man, you get warp in 12 charge lots with upgrades into the Terran base and it is so hard to deal with. You have to bring back a large portion of your army to clean it out, which leaves your front door a little bit weaker. And then the majority of the Protoss death ball shows up, and then it's just a really tough situation. The Terran players can find them in there. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. It's not like you know, twenty four lings got dropped into your main. That's a lot easier to deal with as compared to those zealots for sure. 
Yeah, and uh, the warp prism just being such an awesome tool. You know, it doesn't cost gas, too many minerals, indefinite warpins. It's, again, not, you know, I'm not saying this for my own games where I suck. I know I suck. It's from watching the games, and, and is there that fun value there? Am I impressed when the warp prism skirts around the edge of the map and warps in the 16 zealots? Or, I'm in, or am I impressed with, you know, Rainer constantly poking in every 30 seconds with his wings? And then finally catches the, the supply depots lowered. Like, ah, the latter one is a lot more interesting. Hmm. So I've always kind of felt like Blizzard should balance StarCraft around what the professionals feel like is going on. If the pros are struggling against something, then yes, obviously there should be a change. I remember a balance patch, oh, I want to say a year or two ago, uh, right when the Hydrolisk was made viable. And... Uh, there was the ability to get out a big hydro push against Protoss with both range and speed at about 12 minutes. And there was a tournament where every Zerg player went for that against every Protoss opponent that they faced, and it was so hard for Protoss to deal with. They tried Immortals. They tried rushing to Storm. They tried getting Colossus out. It just wasn't enough. And then immediately after that tournament was over, Blizzard was like, all right, done. We are changing this. This is obviously hard for our professional Protoss players to deal with. We don't want them to stop playing, obviously. And uh. they went ahead and switched it up a little bit, changed the upgrades to, you know, uh, where you can't... What did they change? They split them, right? There was yeah. the one that gave you range and speed at the same time, and they just put them into two different ones. Yeah, exactly. They unbuffed yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. And that was the thing. They were kind of going back and forth with that for a while, and it seems like uh -huh. they've settled on what they want to do with it now, where hiders are in a decent spot. They're good. Uh, they can be dealt with. They can be responded to. And you don't have that 12-minute Hydra death ball showing up at your front door as Protoss and just ruining your day. So that is a good example, um, I guess, of that. So, but, wow, that was a really long intro to my question. But um, the, so what you're saying, though, is you feel like maybe changes should happen if the entertainment aspect has been damaged. Yeah. Where, okay. Well, I think that's... Uh... I think that's, you know, it's 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 a balance thing. <laughs> you obviously don't just make StarCraft as wacky as possible. You don't go down the, the Fortnite path, you know, where they're, you know, changing up their tournaments. They're changing up their games literally a day before huge tournaments, and they just, you know, the reasoning yeah. is they, they don't really care about the pro scene. They care about right. the casual scene, and that's, you know, we don't want to go that direction with it. We do want the game to be balanced and, and ultimately show the, the highest skill possible wins type deal. But I do think it is the most concerning that's what has led to many of the drop-off periods of StarCraft II, in my opinion, are the boring metas. You know, the the metas where you aren't doing very much. So, Brutal and Fester, you were, there was a waiting game. Terran would wait till their three-base tank push and then try and then die. <laughs> or they, <laughs> or they uh, you know, would rax all in or something like that. And, and there was... Swarm, <clears throat> swarm host mech. Exactly. Oh, swarm, swarm host, host mech. mech. Yeah. Yeah. There was some balanced periods. There was some, you know, 50-50 on the win rates in those periods, but it wasn't a very good game. It wasn't very fun to watch. And I think even with everyone basically agreeing that that wasn't fun to watch, you still had the pros do what they should, which is fight for their ability to win money and actually make a living off of this. They, they don't want Swarmhost to be nerfed necessarily because then what if it makes them really underpowered? So... There's always that balance between appealing to the pros and making sure it's all fair, but also appealing to the community that makes this like an, an eSport to begin with, all the fans that watch it. Yeah, that's a good point, because even if the pros all love the state of the game, if nobody's watching them, it's hard to make it an eSport anymore. 
yeah, yeah. entirely fair so yeah. i guess one matchup that i really am a fan of and have been for a while now is zvp i feel like the zerg versus protoss is one where and i say this quite a bit in my cast or i just feel like every unit from both races is viable you can make anything sure it's situation dependent but there's really nothing i can think of that is just useless entirely in this matchup and that's something i think that is maybe key to making a matchup interesting and fresh is you can see different stuff in every zvp and all of it totally makes sense yeah although i sometimes feel like zvp does get the same trap where like it is mostly the best to go into stargate into immortal pump you know high templars we don't see a ton of colossus series like it it has and you know all matchups will get those periods it's just not much is happening but you know we want to try to reduce the amount of opportunities that that show themselves so you're right that the best starcraft is often how many options you have how diverse it is but hard to get there hard to do <laughs> yeah 100 percent difficult uh, one thing I've always found interesting about your career in StarCraft is uh, the time when you taught at NYU intro to StarCraft mm. um, after taking over for Axlav. So, uh, I mean, that wasn't obviously, you know, many, many years, a huge part of your life. But I have to imagine you, I mean, it has some effect, obviously. Is there one thing <laughs> from that time that kind of stands out that you still remember today? Um. Yeah, I think the best thing that happened there, there was a ton of bad things because the, the travel was, was super terrible. But, you know, the actual <laughs> class itself when I was finally there and, and teaching was really a lot of fun. Um, I think I did a great job appealing to, like, not just taking the opportunity to be like, yes, I get to teach everyone about esports, but to actually cater it to their degree, which was game design. And we had a really nice, like, open roundtable discussion around, like, one or two, you know, classes before the last class where I was just like, why would you make your your game that you're designing an esport? Like, would you make it with esport in mind, uh, esports in mind, and try and like make revenue off of that? Or you just create a good game. And there is like a really, really lengthy, interesting discussion where everyone chipped in, and I think that was a lot of fun for them, and also makes the class important as opposed to just the freebie five, four points, whatever it was. <laughs> Yeah, so just getting in-depth into the discussion, into the subject material, rather than people just showing up, um, Yeah, like you said, for the points, for the grade. Yeah, because there were still, you know, those two or three kids that they, like, they showed up, they they had fun, they were active, but then they didn't do the homework. And it's like, oh, hmm. it's so easy, dude. Like, you get to <laughs> – the homework was literally, like, play three games and, like, write how it went down, I think, was, like, a oh, weekly man. assignment. Not even, like, yeah. two times a week or anything. It was weekly. And this, this kid, like, didn't do, like, six of them. So when he got a lower-than-expected grade, he actually messaged me. And I was like, well, to be fair, I've never graded anything before. But I looked up how to do it. I think I did it correctly. And you just didn't do the homework, dude. And he didn't have any response to that. But it's just, like, it's so stupid. Like, he could have gotten an A plus easily. Yeah, just boot up the StarCraft, man. Jeez. Just write about it. Like, this kid actually literally likes StarCraft. That was the nice thing about it, too, actually, was that everyone there... Oh. Um, even if they weren't that great at it, I really enjoyed StarCraft. One guy actually did enjoy it so much. He went from, like, I think he plays, like, Platinum or something, so he's already decent. But then he actually got to Masters by the end of the class. Dang. That's impressive. Yeah. 
did he credit the class? Was he public about that? He's like, the reason <laughs> I got to master's was because of zombie grub. Uh, no, no. He was actually really humble and just as like, didn't, didn't speak much. So oh. I guess he didn't really tell very, very many people. <laughs> fair, fair enough. So I guess follow-up question there would be, uh, a lot of people live in platinum and diamond on the ladder. I believe that's the most populated section of the ladder. Um, I don't know if that's true for all of them, but definitely for NA last I checked. And I've watched a bunch of people stream StarCraft at the Diamond level. They get up to Diamond 2, they get up to Diamond 1, but then breaking over into Masters for a lot of people seems like a struggle. Yeah. Even if they're playing a lot, even if they're devoting themselves to this game and trying to learn from their losses and everything else, but yeah. it's really hard to do. What would you? What do you think the key is to getting into Masters? Is there one thing? Is it a whole bunch of things? What, would, what advice would you give? It's a whole bunch of things. The amount of people that make it a masters based off of like really badly executed all ins is still pretty absurdly high. So <laughs> that's fair. It's just a lot of it. I think is a mental game, honestly. Um, where like you, whenever this happens all the time, whenever you meet the next border, even if it's technically like one division higher than you, it's not, you know, you face a, if you're diamond two facing a diamond one, it's like, ah, I can beat this guy. But suddenly if you're diamond one facing a masters three, I feel like there's so much pressure that people put on themselves like, oh my god, it's Masters, it's just a big deal, it'd be great. And it's like, well, they're actually not that much better than you. But you think they are. Um, so it's, it's a like, psychological aspect. There's, yeah. there's definitely a psychological aspect to it, but it also is just, I think that's where you really do have to know how to improve. Like, up until that diamond, you know, almost reaching no Masters, you could just kind of replicate what you see. But then actually push over that hump is also just, you need to be able to execute practice correctly. Like, find the way that practice works for you, and then actually be able to, to fix specific things and that will push you over. So how would you recommend practice for somebody? Does that mean <clears throat> playing ladder, doing the same specific, specific thing over and over, finding a practice partner? How um, would that work? In my opinion, it's, it's really boring. Um, there you just, you just choose one build per matchup and then you just practice versus AI until you actually have it down, you know, remembering not looking at a, a notepad or anything like that, and then trying to match your benchmarks in the game. That means occasionally dumb losses because someone like two base all in you and you were just in your macro game. Yeah, that that's true, but that's usually that's the way that I did it. Was just working on the build mm -hmm. orders and macroing, and then uh, eventually also take into account like what the other person's doing build order wise because that's what then pushes you even further. But yeah, build orders. That's always what I suggest. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Just having a lot of build orders in your toolbox, I think is how I've heard it referred to. Just being able to say, all right, I scouted my opponent and this build right here, if I pull it out of the box, it's gonna get a lot of stuff done. I can probably win with it and I can execute it extremely well. Like that's a good place to be in, in StarCraft. Yeah, execution mechanics will get you to masters. It's not a lie, it's been proven. Just like that just like that guy that was like calories in calories out is how you lose weight so eat nothing but like sticker bars for five months like <laughs> same things yeah <clears throat> so i know it can be frustrating yeah. though. i think there has been people who have complained about that mentality because most most starcraft players have a mentality you know when someone's like oh i can't seem to beat this thing they're like well what are your mechanics like and i understand that can be really frustrating to hear for people who are stuck but yeah it's just a matter of actually being able to to get that useful practice and not just try and 
replicate what you see without actually paying attention to what you're doing wrong. So what kind of stuff fits under mechanics for you? Um, hitting the appropriate production timings is like really, really big mm. in my opinion. It's usually what keeps me back. Um, so, you know, for Terran, that's, you know, people generally miss that extra two barracks production for minutes, like literal plural minutes, but when they really should. And then that's absolutely huge. Um, constantly sending a unit out to scout before you actually move on to the map is really big too. Oftentimes someone will get to a decent macro game and be like, yeah, I have like 20 more supplies than the other person. And then they are moving on the map like blindly. So that's one of the, the big mechanics. As far as it's micro like, yeah, mechanics you, go, I don't know. I don't really care about that that much. Gotcha. But yeah, it's like, sure, you have 20 more supply, but you have roaches and they have all immortals. And you're not going to have a very good time with that. Yeah. Yeah, there is also that. <laughs> you can only be so so blind to your opponent's composition. Right. And I mean, there is that talk. You can get out of bronze. You can get out of silver just by outmacroing your opponent and having more stuff. And even if you don't necessarily counter it officially, I say with quotation marks, if you have more stuff, like Marines technically counter Mutalisks, but if you have 39 Mutalisks and they have 10 Marines, you're still going to win that fight. Yep. So just outmacroing is the place to be there. But yeah, up into Masters, it definitely does feel like uh, composition is going to matter, at least a little bit. You just have to know what your opponent is doing, and don't just walk into the meat grinder of, oh, this is a horrible choice to go against what this uh, this person is trying to do. Yeah. One thing that was really interesting, did you read the Players' Tribune, is that what that's called? Article that uh, a laser threw up, I want to say, in December? Um, I'm not sure about that. Was it the Players' Lobby? Did is it the Lobby? I don't like, I remember what it's called. I don't remember a laser doing one, so... Not sure. Yeah. Okay. Let me... Um, um. It is. It's the player's lobby. Thank you so much. So, mm -hmm. Laser had a really interesting article in there. I want to say it was in December. Let me see if I can pull this up. Oh, it was actually around Thanksgiving time. So, longer than I thought. Time is going fast. But uh, I will toss it in here real quick. So, he basically says here... It's a bit of a longer article, but he says that he was a rival... Is a rival of Serral's. He's an e-user. He played against Serral for years at this point. A laser had the goal of becoming the first foreigner to win BlizzCon. And then Cyril did it. And he explains his take on why. And he says, all right, so for me, I was winning games with two base all-ins. I was winning games with, you know, the stuff that would work in certain situations. But if the opponent was on my level and knew what was going on, they could shut it down. Whereas Cyril, a couple years ago, really started to work on this macro Zerg style. Being able to defend and defend and defend and snipe bases until he gets up to his perfect composition and then just being patient and going in for the attack when it would be, when it makes sense, right? And it was hard. Cyril lost a ton of games doing that because he wasn't good at it yet. He lost games in tournaments doing that. And then he got to the point where it was second nature to him. And it really, that is one of the things that propelled him up to winning BlizzCon. And a laser's just like... That should have been me, but I took the easy way out. I should have been figuring that strategy out along with Cyril, and I never did. Hmm. And I'm going to get that started now. So I thought that was a really, really interesting insight uh, into a laser's mind, into how he sees Cyril, how he sees StarCraft, how he sees himself over the last couple of years. Um, mm -hmm. I was just wondering, uh, is that something that you have seen? I mean, you've been casting StarCraft for a good long while now. Obviously, mm -hmm. you've been casting Serral for many years, too. Is that something you've noticed about his progression? Do you feel like a laser's analysis is accurate here? 
Yeah, I think it is accurate. It's actually kind of hard to see Cyril's progression, actually, um, as he wasn't an online, like, hero. You know, Bly, I actually could probably, could if I really thought about it, and he gave me a timeline, I could probably do exactly what Bly was doing every month because <laughs> he would play in so many tournaments. But Cyril was already yeah. a little more, always a little more question mark. Whenever he showed up to tournaments, all I ever heard was that it was macro. Um, when I first cast him mm. years and years ago, it was combating Jadong's ZDZ macro. Um, so it makes sense that, that that's what he was mm. working on, and it gives him the stronger basis than the people who would learn the flavor of the month all-ins and then eventually be cut out. That's what we always... That's why we push mechanics so much in StarCraft. <laughs> it's just it's the, <laughs> it's the way to be consistent, at least. Yeah, definitely true. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't realize that he actually dates back to playing against uh, against Jadong in StarCraft Two. That's amazing. Yeah, one of the uh, first, the, well, literally the first game I saw of Sarah was like in 2013 or 14, because um, mm -hmm. there wasn't the age requirement for DreamHack, and that's also why Rainer was in like a DreamHack two years ago as well. Um, right. It wasn't until it really became WCS and Blizzard that that was the there was a requirement. But anyways, yeah, he he straight up played. Against Jadong in like two one, uh, he well, he got two one, but he took a game off of Jadong at the height of his ZDZ at the height of the Muta vs Muta era. Oh gosh! And I like yeah. I was like, man, this kid's really good. I hope we get to see more of him. But yeah, he wasn't particularly uh, online tournament focused, or even I don't even think he did that many. He I don't think he traveled that much. Just whatever there was a big tournament, he was there. Yeah, looking through his uh, his achievements here on Liquidpedia. Uh, it does seem like a lot of WCS stuff, a lot of bigger stuff there, but yeah, not a lot of like you say the online, online style tournaments. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I found this here. It's uh, twenty. What year is this? Twenty thirteen. Yep, twenty thirteen. He was put into a group with uh, Jadong, Crank, and Four GG, <laughs> which is just that is brutal, Cyril. That is a rough group. And yeah, he won a single game in the group against Jadong and says so. Yep, you were right about that. Yeah. Oh, it's really sick series. I wouldn't forget it. I'll have to see if I can find a VOD on that one. Yeah, it's still on my YouTube, so there's def definitely ones that exist. Nice. I'll have to check that out after this for sure. So, yeah, good guy. I remember I remember casting uh, from just from replays of his, and he kind of fit into a couple European uh, Zergs who really loved Ling pressure, who would really just constantly yeah. be knocking on the door with Lings, but couldn't really get into the late game with it because they were spending so much larva just on that Ling stuff. And sometimes they'd win and... You know, and most of the time in the larger larger tournaments, they would lose. Um, I always appreciated that style. I felt like Zerg should be more aggressive, even if the meta didn't necessarily call for it. And I've always kind of had that ideological difference with how Blizz designed Zerg in StarCraft II, where they're kind of supposed to defend, especially in ZVT, and they don't really have as many really good, um, solid, aggressive strategies there. But I don't know, maybe that's discussion for another time but yeah it's nice to see Cyril kind of embrace w what Blizzard intends right Blizzard really wants Zerg to be defensive that's what he's at he's macro style he's getting a whole ton of bases up and he's becoming he's becoming the swarm like a lot of the comments that I see on Twitch on YouTube are the way he moves his armies they're constantly rolling about on the creep creep spreads amazing they're reacting perfectly they're positioning even before the army shows up there was that great ZVZ with dark that he played back at back at blizzcon it was either dark or it was, it was rogue, rogue. Was, the one that was it rogue yeah the lost and found game yeah yep that was it yeah 
Yeah. And so he's just able to be like, all right, so I can kind of feel, obviously he saw it, but it's almost like he was feeling, uh, feeling rogue come in to go for his fourth base and he responds perfectly to it and just that kind of stuff. It's really amazing to see what he's been able to do. I never saw it coming. Like if you'd asked me who the first foreigner to win BlizzCon would be, I would not have said Serral, but uh, very impressed, very happy that he's been able to pull that off. Mm-hmm. It's quite impressive. I really think that he has, like, he, he, there's not really a weakness to him. I feel like the reason that he is well known for being a defensive macro player um, is because he is. I mean, I'm not saying he's not, but it's also because people try and, and kill him so early on. They don't want to deal with Serral, and yet he still makes all the right decisions and he's, he's defensive. But if you give him an open playing field, evenly matched, uh, up until you know eight or nine minutes, then he can be the person that has everything running around, constant roach run bias, ling run bias. Um, so he just really plays appropriately to his opponent. Yep, and yeah, for sure, it takes that. It, the best players in StarCraft are not the ones who can just do one style. They have to be able to do uh, adaptations to what's going on for the other players and. He is definitely in there. So what do you see for 2019? Do you see possibly another foreigner kind of ascend to this level? Do you see Serral just kind of crushing his way through WCS again? Mm. Put on your prognostication hat and tell us what's going to happen here. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Serral is going to stay dominant. The thing that why there's been these periods of other foreign domination, you know, looking like they would be the next big one, right? Like, Neeb was, was that um, two years ago. Everyone was like, okay, he's yep. going to be the guy that does it. But he always had this mentality problem, you know? Even when he got better with it, that was always still something that I would be afraid of. I'd be like, oh, Neeb can be the, defeat this person. But if he starts getting tilted, then I don't know, and that's really scary. Sarah doesn't have that problem. He also has never complained about burnout, as far as I, I know where almost mm. everyone else has, and a lot is his personality, sure, but it's also the way that he studies StarCraft. It's not just grind, grind, grind the ladder, although he does do a lot of that. He also is just thinking about the game a ton. Um, mm. You know, all the things that they they say, like these studies that have been done for professional athletes and how often you really are supposed to practice as opposed to conditioning, as opposed to, to strategizing, like, and StarCraft players are still in this condition mode where it's like, well, if I don't practice 12 hours a day, then... Then I'm not getting ahead. Gonna fall behind. Yeah. yeah. Or if I'm not laddering, laddering, you know, 50 games a day, but that does create burnout, <laughs> understandably. So, so that's why Cyril just in my mind is is so easy to predict. Like he's not gonna have the the mentality problems. He doesn't seem to falter once things get hard. He actually go, does better <laughs> once things get difficult. And that's a real sign of a champion. And then he also just has never complained about StarCraft. Really, I mean, he kind of is on the memes. He's a funny guy anything people give him credit for but you never yep. really legitimately see him be like yeah i'm just so frustrated with this match but i refuse to play it or i'm so frustrated with this map that i vetoed it like you don't see those complaints from him and it just means balance complaints yeah. yeah it means like what what is actually gonna phase this guy i mean eventually people are gonna like match up to him so maybe it's less dominating than it was last year but it's still going to be he's still gonna be pushing the the boundaries of starcraft i feel even if other people are eventually gonna catch up to him yeah, that's something that they talk about a lot in ball sports. I'm a big NFL fan, big NBA fan. And the team that won the championship the pre previous season, and if it looks like they're going to repeat especially, it seems like every night they go into opposing arenas and there's just a bullseye on their back. You're going to get your best game from everybody that you play for the entire season, and that's hard. 
that's draining to do. And uh, yeah, I feel like Cyril's going to be in the same situation. Everybody he plays in WCS is going to have studied him. They're going to have watched his games. They're going to know his tendencies and they're going to come out there and give their absolute best to try to take him down. Mm-hmm. So that could be something that wears on him. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if we're going to see a straight WCS sweep again, but again, I wouldn't be surprised if we did as well, just because of all the reasons that you mentioned, just the way that he trains his mentality and I think most importantly, I think it's just the tendency, like you said, to just get better as things get harder. If he's in a bad situation in a game. It doesn't snowball to where he ends up falling apart and making a bunch of mistakes and losing. He can respond to it and get back on track pretty quickly, which I don't know if you can teach that. Like, I don't know how you learn that yeah. skill. It almost seems like it's an innate thing. Yeah, it's hard, you know. People, there's a lot of people who shy away from using the word talent. You know, people who don't want to use the word talent, too. They think that it takes away from all the hard work that they did, and I understand that. But at some point, you just got to admit that people pick up things faster or have that innate ability that maybe it is trainable to be able to recover mentally. I would say that it is trainable, but anything to do with the mind takes a ton of work and effort to improve. And it's so much, there's so much, so many more ups and downs, I feel, when it comes to like mental conditioning than physical conditioning. And if you already have all that locked down, it feels like you're pretty you're pretty well set up for the competitive side of things. Yeah, no matter what you're competing in, I agree. So, real quick here, I'm going to just switch tracks. And do you want to talk a little bit about the Banshee tournament? I've just been really interested in this ever since it was announced. And okay. uh, it seems like it's going pretty strong. It seems like uh, we're on number 14. Yeah, I just finished this now? weekend. Mm-hmm. Yep, just finished 14. So you want to tell me any lessons you've learned from setting this up or any uh, progression <laughs> you've seen in what you're trying to do with this? Um, I mean, there really wasn't, there hasn't been that much of a learning process. Um, it's a very simple tournament, really, when it, when it comes down to it. And everyone that I've contacted for it, you know, either the admins or the players, have all been very easy to work with. So not really any education going down here, but... Um, as far as seeing results, there are is definitely results. We have a lot of people tuning in, being very supportive. It's fully funded for a year at least, probably more, oh, without me asking for it. I'm, not, I'm yeah. not constantly being like, oh, I need more money. I'm actually like, no, no, we're good, guys, and people still get money. Um, you know, what a problem. And then uh, we do see more women be like active and interested in it, joining the discord channel which you know so i partnered up with them <clears throat> to make sure that there you know was not just a tournament that that woman could compete in but also an area that they could feel like they could talk about all the problems of being a woman in, in video game that can that can come just along find a with community it. yeah yeah and it's worked out really well i've seen big growth there uh as well as actual active tournaments you know not just four people showing up all the time but eight and then this past one we had i want to say like 14 people it was actually really good. Yeah, looking at the bracket here, it looks like a pretty good uh, pretty good turnout for sure. Decent race distribution as well. A lot of Zergs there <laughs> near semifinals and finals, but that's more of a function of StarCraft as a whole, I think, right now maybe. Uh, have you noticed... Hmm, I guess, have you noticed that the player uh, performance has gotten better over the course of these tournaments? Mm. Like, are the finals better executed now than they were when you started, or do you kind of feel like it's... Maybe about the same as it's been. I'm pretty sure the players have gotten better. Um, you know, when we first started, I think Tilia wasn't really playing StarCraft, and then she got really back into it. Um, so she was like 
former GM when it started, but then she actually made GM and really started to rise nice. to the ranks again through it. And now she's like, you know, tapering off again. She's not going to play as much. But then you have people who would, you know, she painted the target on her back for being the person who won every everyone. And you had QB really start to to meet her up to her standards and almost win plenty of times. I think there's been a lot of improvement. And we've even had you know, people in, in the Discord be like, yeah, I just reached my highest MMR. It's pretty cool to see. Yeah, no, that's awesome. It's always good to see people getting better at StarCraft, no matter what level it is. Fantastic. All right, so it looks like that is uh, obviously streamed um, over on your Twitch stream. Mm -hmm. So you can go ahead and tune into that. Just uh, follow Zombie Grub. We'll put a link uh, to her. It's just Zombie Grub on Twitch. Pretty easy to find that way, but we'll put a link in the show notes as well um, if you want to see really gaming all over the place it's not just starcraft you guys zombie grub also will stream things like final fantasy yeah uh, are there any other games you're playing right now not really i'm into some battle royales but yeah it's just they're hard to stream actually battle royale yeah like physically like the uh requirements in the computer it's a lot more than starcraft oh so trying trying to stream and play like a triple a game is yeah a little it's, difficult. it's difficult yeah yeah, I can see that. Have you uh, tried Apex Legends at all? No. Um, my brother came in, actually, to my stream. He uh, occasionally will, will tune in. And he asked me if I was going to play it. I thought it was one of those games that was going to cost, like, 60 bucks, but it's free, so I might eventually play it. It's just that I'm on my mm -hmm. laptop while I'm in California, and ah. probably will play pretty crappy. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to get a laptop that can handle that kind of stuff and yeah. stream at the same time, for sure. Mm -hmm. So what kind of Battle Royale have you been into? Uh, I played PUBG when everyone was getting into it because everyone was getting into it. And my friends would offer to play with me, but never really did. And then Blackout was a Black Ops rather. Black Ops was a no. I was right. Black Ops, Blackout. They say both. Black, uh, isn't Black Ops Call of Duty? Yeah. Then they say. So it was a Call of Duty Battle Royale. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's it's the Bruce Mister one. I'm actually going to really feel so stupid. Black. Somicron, help us. Oh, it's Call of Duty Black Ops Blackout. <laughs> yeah, it's Black Ops. Blackout yeah. is Oh, it's both. It's it's Call of Duty Black Ops Blackout. Yes. There, I knew that. I like. I was like, these both sound familiar. <laughs> Which one is it? It's apparently both. Okay, that makes Whatever. So that was actually really fun. The The way that the, the movement worked was so, like, PUBG's like so trying to be realistic, but then it had a bunch of server problems and it just was gross. And Blackout was so smooth and so much like a better made game <laughs> but now apex yeah. seems to have beat them in the uh kind of more um sci-fi department i guess you know like it's it's faster paced and not realistic so blackouts like in between apex and and PUBG. but it's kind of whatever my friends are playing is the one that i'm into <laughs> so yeah that's kind of how it is with these games a lot more fun to play with people so you're kind of dependent on who's interested in playing with you yeah. Uh, yeah, there have been a couple times that my friends are like, hey, come play this. They'll be like, uh, what was one? Come play Titanfall. And I'm like, oh, uh, yeah. okay. I've, I've heard some good things about it. Let me kind of wait on this a little bit. And by the time I get around to buying it, they're like, oh, yeah, we're done. <laughs> yeah. So, very frustrating. Yes, it is. It is. And then, I mean, even before that, just people that don't want to you know, play, there's other stuff that's happening. So the squad disbands. And you never really want to squad up with people online. You do eventually need to talk, and something as simple as me pushing to talk and saying I have extra bandages will get comments about my voice and my gender. So yep. It's not really something I like to play in general. 
Yeah, and that is a problem. I mean, definitely, I don't know how much we want to get into this, but I think you've touched on it a couple times here. And definitely being, you know, being a woman, being a girl uh, in the gaming environment can be definitely problematic. There's a, It's heavily, heavily male-dominated. A lot of those dudes are, we'll put it nicely, complete jerks, especially uh, when females are involved. Mm. Is there, I mean, how do we improve this? I guess is my question. Do you have any ideas on how to change the culture to where it is more accepting of everybody and it doesn't matter (laughs) what your sexual orientation or gender is? Yeah, changing culture is like, it's it's done in inches, right? Like, it has to do with, in general, like even outside of gaming culture, there's still things to, to be improved on to then to get even further into gaming and then even further than that into competitive gaming is just I mean it's a trickle down effect eventually I suppose just enough women will actually be openly playing video games and then awkward to teenage where? males will stop having to show off and <laughs> and be jerks oh. because reasons yeah I don't I don't know man like I was talking about adults maybe adults can grow up but if we're trying to get teenage boys to improve their behavior I that seems a lot more difficult yeah I don't know. well I mean it's like I know overwatch has literally like it is a serious problem in their eyes because you know it's a blizzard product and they always want to hold like the play fair thing um, yeah. and it's a also a product that requires communication so they have to fix that somehow you know just to actually have fun with the game and it's it's something that they're desperately working on trying to improve i think there's a lot of people just you know bringing up kind of call out culture just saying hey other guys if you hear some dude being a jerk you're the ones that have to kind of be like hey let's not do this because if the girl does it then she just gets made fun of it doesn't work um right so that's definitely one of the best ways to do it i will be far more likely to play a game with one friend even if like the seven other people are people i don't know if that one guy friend will, will be the person that's like, yeah, no, like let's let, let's not do that guy. It's like, come on, let's just play the game. Yeah. But it's well, good. I mean, <laughs> totally. But yeah, it is encouraging um, to hear dudes be the ones to be like, all right, we could, we're better than this. Knock it off. Cause yeah, I do think it has to be, you're right. It's not fair. It doesn't make, it's not a cool thing, but definitely does seem to be, have to be other guys. The ones that are, uh, yeah, that are shutting it down. It's unfortunate, but it also goes like I think there's the same concept even when uh, like taken away from the gender talk, but also the the skill talk. Where like I think in battle royale, it's harder to tell who's actually good at the game and who's bad at the game, especially because it can last like literally five minutes. So what did you really learn there? But yeah. with StarCraft, for instance, if you played team games in StarCraft, if one person was obviously not as good, um, they're being carried by their friend or just like doing placements or something like that one person will be the dick and the other person if they're like hey maybe not the amount of times that i did that in like warcraft and the uh, the dude who's being a dick was like okay fine but just like you know tell him what to do was actually like quite high once you called them out they were less willing to actually continue it because they didn't have the support Hmm. i suppose of the other people yeah well that's something i've noticed in team games like a reason i like to play starcraft 1v1 is just because in a team game, it feels like you can play really well and play really perfectly, but then if you lose, it's really easy to blame your teammates, right? Yes, it and is. And really feel like, I played that 100% perfectly and didn't make any mistakes, but man, the healer sucked. Uh, so yeah, I can def- I've definitely seen that in team games. I think that's maybe why League of Legends has more of a toxicity problem than StarCraft does, just because it's more yeah. of a team game, and people are more willing to call other people out for sucking 
Whereas in a 1v1, it's much more difficult to blame your team because you are the team. You can, you know, balance wine and complain about something in the game, but it's harder to really get mad at other people, I feel like. It absolutely is. You're very rarely mad at that one guy. You might be at the time a complete douchebag to someone because you hated the way that it went down, but then you have to, you're not going to stalk that guy. You're just going to be like, well, all Protoss players are stupid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> just increase the net man it's negative stereotypes but it's almost better wow this is very complicated well <laughs> that's why i think also to, to bring it back to the gender thing where maybe starcraft could be like in some ways better to get into um especially because even with team games right like the amount of communication that we use in team games in starcraft is actually really really low <laughs> we have i think one time because i used to play like a lot of team games when i was you know younger and worse at the game but there was like one time where someone was like why aren't you using voice comms out of hundreds of games and i was like you expect yeah. me to use starcraft voice comms what like <laughs> what's going on here <laughs> no one uses it. yeah that's really weird yeah um so it can be if the yeah if someone's having trouble getting into overwatch because of the highest competitive play you need to be communicating then starcraft is where you're going to get that that need to be competitive without feeling like you're lacking because every time you go to voice comms, you yelled at for being a girl. <laughs> yeah, a little bit easier to kind of keep that on the down low, which avoids the, the harassment. Yeah. Hmm. So in general, if you're listening to this, let's do a better job of calling out other people for poor behavior, like no matter what it is, right? But especially if they're attacking somebody or harassing somebody because they don't have a penis. It's not a big deal. It's not something that we need to encourage. Let's just go ahead and be the ones to be the change uh, in the gaming community, no matter what it is. And let's try to let's try to improve things. How about that? Good, good. Yeah. Good done. Good stuff. Yeah. All right. So we're running low on time here. We said to keep it for an hour. We're about there. Is there anything else you wanted to plug, or anything else you wanted to discuss in your in your world? Oh boy. I mean. There, there's some you know heavier topics certainly um you know about casting in general and and whatnot but unless you have anything specific not, not really i'm on the forefront of my but mind now i'm so curious what are these heavy topics in casting maybe yeah. we don't have to get into it now but is there something we can touch on just for a couple of minutes here yeah well oh well geez i mean there's so many things you know like how to make a living um the hmm. the the uh the difference between like the difference between StarCraft, you know, casting and then the other esports casting and then how many opportunities there are. Also, how do you improve at casting and appealing to the public, the public's reception of you and how it feels like sometimes, you know, the, the public is, you know, still has nostalgia too much, maybe a little bit too much for nostalgia. They just like how things were <laughs> and maybe not the new things that are happening. I mean, there's. Oh, I hear that. Yeah, there's a ton of stuff, really. I'm like, the people are like, you have anything else I want to talk about? And I was like, well, how much do you want to talk about, you know, really depressing stuff? <laughs> a lot. I love talking about depressing stuff. Give me yeah. controversial topics rather than something we all agree on, for sure. Yeah, and there's definitely controversial stuff. But then at the end of the day, it's like, especially for my position, even if I bring up all the things I, gri like, I could gripe about, at the end of the day, StarCraft really is probably the best community um, with yeah. the best casters. And... Uh, so with the willingness to, you know, have those 
openings for new people. You know, there are still people coming up. Neuro recently, right, has been he's been on like a thousand subs for a while now, doing well with the Twitch front page stuff. You have a really big YouTube, which I think a lot of times people would be like four years ago, they'd be like, there's no room whatsoever for new people. So as much as I can gripe and bring up, you know, controversial topics, at the end of the day, I actually think that it's a very blessed, actually blessed esport. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it definitely has the best community uh, of players, the best player base, the best casters. Although I miss Red Eye. I wish Red Eye would cast StarCraft again. Uh, but otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, I don't have any complaints. Oh, so go. good. All right. Well, we'll bring you back. We'll bring you back. We'll discuss some more of those depressing topics. Maybe sprinkle in some more of the positive aspects of sure. the game and we'll make that happen. So, all right. Thank you so much for joining us. Mm -hmm. We really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to talk with us on the Falcon Paladin Hour. Again, please check out Zombie Grub on Twitch. She's on there a lot. She's very entertaining. She does a lot of different stuff. Again, not just StarCraft, including Final Fantasy, which is pretty cool, and these Battle Royale games. And on YouTube as well. Again, link in the show notes. So yeah, that's going to be it. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, take care of yourself, Zombie Grub, and we will catch you next time. All right. Thank you.